You are now listening to the Purpose Edits Podcast. You've got to be willing to be vulnerable. You have to have the ability to self-assess, and not everybody has the ability to self-assess. You don't necessarily have to like sweet to be successful in school. You just have to know how to play the game that's messing it and get through it. Welcome to the Perfect Settings Podcast. This is a short yet powerful conversation designed to help you do three things that can ultimately change the trajectory of your life. One, discover your purpose. Two, walk in your purpose. And three, ultimately fulfill your purpose. I am your host, Coach Vic, and I'm joined as always by my lifelong friend, my brother, the educator, Dr. Shane Calhoun. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. Listen, Purpose Addicts, we couldn't wait to get back because we got a special guest this week. Shane, starting with you, how you doing? Doing good, my brother. How you doing? Man, I'm doing real good, doing real good. We got a good friend on the show, um, person that I know a little bit better than than you, but I I think she fits into our circle and our dynamic. Um, I'll give you a quick intro for our audience. This this person is a well-traveled professor in marketing at a major university. Um, I would like to consider her to be a subject matter expert in the areas of market strategy and research, sales and sales management. Um, she's written numerous articles and publications. She is a proud mother of a son and one of the devastating divas of Delta Sigma Theta University. <laughs> Please welcome to the show, Kelly, Dr. Kelly Coart. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Welcome. Really, sincerely honored to have an opportunity to speak with you. Thank Listen. you for having me. We could not wait to get you on the show, you know, with Purpose Addicts. Our goal is to bring on people who have discovered their purpose, who are walking in their purpose, and who seek out to help others walk in their purpose. And in our interactions, that's what I've always noticed about you. That is a a life mission of yours, it seems. You know what's funny you say that? Because I still feel like I don't know my purpose. So it's funny you say that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't. I, I still, I, and it's funny you say that. Now, during this time of ease, if I can call it that, I've been really searching for what should I be doing? I feel like I should be doing something else. Um, and my mind always goes to, I think that we're socialized that we should be working, always working. Yeah. Whether we're working for ourselves or working for somebody else. Yeah. And I'm thinking, should I be working on another line of, of income, another um, revenue stream, or should I just something else that I feel like there's something else I should be doing. So I don't really think I, I know my purpose. So it's funny you say that. That was dope that you said that because we've been, both of us have been on that journey. I think this whole break. Now I noticed that you call it this time of ease. Can Mm -hmm. you elaborate on that? That was dope. For sure. Because it's a joke I have, especially with a colleague that I'm always running. Yeah. I'm a single mom. I have a special kiddo and I run from one place to another. I get up at six 30 in the morning typically. And I run all day long until sometimes one o'clock in the morning when I collapse, then I get up and run all over again. But mm-hmm. coronavirus has forced me to stop. Wow. And in that stop, I've found some things that I just, I don't know if I, I just didn't have time to take a look at them. Hmm. And now that I'm forced to stop, I see the things that were before me all along. And now since I have time, I have to respond to them. Yes. And then more so things that should have been important to me, but they weren't because of work and because of that race I was running. Um, like my family, like my child, like my health, like what I'm eating, like cooking at home, like exercising, like 
prayer, my prayer life, all those things that were secondary. It should have been primary, but secondary. Now I have time and I have no excuse. Family, yeah. I have no excuse that I shouldn't have time to talk to family and go over a lesson with my child. And those things were things I did when I'm on my last breath and I'm tired and I'm frustrated that I did. Mm. That's what I mean. So it, it, it's, not, it's been a very devastating time for many. My family's been affected by it. And I understand that from health to economics, it's been devastating, but it's also been a time of reflection. And I, and I guess I sit in a place of entitlement that I can say that because a lot of people can't. And I feel extremely grateful to sit and say, now nah, I can reflect on life because I, I'm not overwhelmingly concerned with my income right now. I'm not over, overwhelmingly concerned with my health right now. What should my purpose be? What should I be focused on? And it's a time of, of reflection and ease. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember, I remember being younger um, and uh, don't laugh at me, but at one point I used to write poetry and I once had a poem uh, published in this book. Shane probably don't even know this, but I remember the first couple of lines of it. And I don't know why this stuck with me uh, when you said it, but the first lines was, what was my purpose? Why was I put here? Did I get what I deserve or did I even deserve this? And I find myself like you in this moment of COVID that sat me down and forced me to really evaluate what's important to me. And I think it's done that for a lot of people. I don't think it's just you. It's really exposing for a lot of people, hey, what you thought was important and the race that you thought you had to run and needed to run, that wasn't it. So for you to acknowledge that you are not sure if you are actually in your purpose. I think, I think our purpose is not, is the right word finite? I, I, is it mm. where it's not finished? I think it's ongoing. Mm. Um, and I think that purpose is similar to running in your lane and making mm-hmm. sure that you run in your lane with intention as mm. opposed to reaching a destination. That's good. That's some good stuff. I heard somebody recently say about, you said stay in your lane and I've heard that, but I heard somebody say, I think it was on Super Soul Sunday or something. I don't know mm-hmm. where it was about playing your role in your movie. Mm-hmm. You make sure you star in your own movie, your movie. and keep yeah. out of everybody else's movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a big deal. You star in your own movie. And that thing about being intentional, oh, that's so important, especially as it pertains to you know, we have two crises, right? We have the, the, the COVID crisis and we have the social unrest. And it's made me to be very intentional about how I'm spending my money. Because one thing I noticed, you know, being at home and being at ease is that I don't spend as much money. And when I look at my credit card, I'm like, what was I spending money on before? Mm -hmm. And so now with that recognition, I want to know, okay, I need to be more intentional. And I hope that we across our communities, communities are being more intentional about what are we doing with our money? Because I think the solution, and hopefully not going too far downfield, guys, um, to come out of this is all going to be economic-based. What our society cares about is money. Yep. Um, yep. And if we're going to have any change, real change is going to have to be economically. And I was very excited at first and hopeful. Um, when I, I mean, God, I don't know if I want to get into that if you want me to. I was very Go hopeful at first. Go for it. When there were protests. And people were speaking out how exciting that was. And, oh, who knew that we would live in another civil rights movement? But now there's been a return, this call to return to normalcy. And with that return, we are returning, returning to what was normal, which was not good for people of color. 
it, it's nice to take down a statue. I applaud that. It's nice to change the name of a team. We've been asking you to do that for decades, and you're only doing it now because you have to. It's nice to name a street, and all that stuff is nice. But what about the systemic problems we have? They still exist, and I don't see those things being addressed. I talked to a friend of mine who lives in Dallas, and she said those conversations are taking place. Wonderful. I'm not privy to those, but I, I'm glad to know that they are. But I don't think that they're taking place enough for us to see the changes that we want. And, and if not now, then what will have to happen for us to come to that? Perfect, 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 very perfect transition. Because that's exactly kind of one of the things that I've been um, thinking about as far as us as a people. And it, it leads into perfectly what we were saying about blowing what blew my mind. What we're saying leads in perfectly to what blew my mind this week. And I think one of the things that we have to focus on is the economy and our economics as a people. And one of the quotes that I've heard this week is, as a community, we, we really don't have a strong community that is supporting ourselves and uplifting ourselves. And I think this movement starts with us. But as a community, we need to get to a place where our money is bouncing in our community eight to 10, oh, excuse me, eight to 12 times. Our money's bouncing eight to 12 times within our community before it ever leaves our community. And that, um, that I learned that from uh, Dr. Claude Anderson. I listened to his interview on um, The Breakfast Club. And the way he was explaining it was like the Hispanics, not the Hispanics, Hispanics, their money bounces within their community five to seven. Um, white, whites, their money bounce eight to 12. Asians and Arabs, it bounces 12 to 17. But odds don't bounce now. Yeah. Right. We do. We get the money. We go straight to getting the J's. Yep. Instead of me making a bread, I'm buying something from Vic's wife's store. Then Vic's turning around, buying something from my store. Then that person turns around and bounces for the next man. So I think the steps is we're going to have to start doing some work from within. And like you said, we're going to have to start focusing on these economics and, and, and hitting them where it hurts and focusing on this bread. Yeah. You know what? I wish I was a leader. I really wish I was the type of leader that people would follow but I don't have the type of recognition. I that's, a, that's, a, that's a bomb, what you just said. The type of leader that people would follow. <laughs> <laughs> who's, the, who's to make that call, though? Because I think that you are. I don't see it. Not, nobody's followed me yet. But <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Maybe, maybe <laughs> it's based on who you're looking to follow you. Because I believe that there, uh-huh. you've impacted. Just from our interactions when I've spoken in your classes, I see the reaction your students have with you. I see that they follow you. I've seen other professors who just talk and they lecture and the students are on their cell phone and falling asleep. And I remember the very first time I walked into your classroom, there was such an energy that hit there was no way you were falling asleep in that class. And there was no way you wouldn't be engaged. And just, and I tell you what, what the real difference maker is, the level of expectation you have for your students, but also for yourself as a professor, the responsibility you put on yourself as a professor to educate your students. So I do believe people are following you. It's just a matter of, are you paying attention to the audience? Because these are students who sometimes get underestimated in terms of their level of impact. But I firmly believe that this generation, that young generation is the one that's going to bring about the change that we need. They're, they, they, 
are social beings and they feel like when one of us has something, my circle of friends should also have it, right? Because this was the, the group that they played on a team and everybody got a ribbon. So in their mind, whatever I did, even if I was the best player, everybody got that same ribbon. So we all should get the same thing. We all should be entitled to the same thing. So I do believe you are a leader. I do believe you have an audience following you. It might not be the audience that you predicted or would assume, but you do. Well, thank you for, for that. Maybe I do need to take a look at that. I'm, I'm also redefining a lot. Mm. Like I was talking to some colleagues yesterday. We did a Zoom and we were talking about happiness. And I said, well, maybe I need to redefine what happiness is. I applaud, I think it was T.I. and I'm not sure who else had a blackout day recently, right? Mm-hmm. And I've seen those over years. You've probably seen them too. We're going to not spend on a day. But what difference does it make to not spend on a day? We're going to go spend it the next day. Exactly. We say, the man, <laughs> I passed up $18 worth of food. Next day, I spent 36 Right. You know, so it, it, it doesn't mean nothing. But it is, I think this, I think that's the way we, we're wired. But like, I think we got to hold our money because there is a lot of power. But if we hold it and say, we're not going to buy anything from Amazon. Yeah, what, we're not and, going to the football game anymore. Hundred percent. Not going to Whole Foods or or 100%, Starbucks. Hundred percent. And if I spend it, I'm going to spend it right here. But and if it, and if I spend it, yeah, if I do spend it with you. These are the things you got to do for my money. Exactly. You don't hold anybody accountable for anything, no. and they just give them money, give them money, no. give them money, and they don't do anything for us. Same if thing with our vote. vote. Don't just come now and speak to my church. This is what you got to do before yeah. I vote. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what I think we have to do. That's, so when I talked about being a leader, I wish that there was somebody that would organize us that way. Yeah. To know that we just can't hold our money for one day. We got to hold our money. And, and when we hold our money, then we're building wealth within, right? I mean, yep. we definitely got to build some structures. We don't have banks and things, you know, yep. like we need. We don't have grocery stores. But that doesn't mean we can't get them. We come from kings and queens. They don't want us to know that. Mm -hmm. We've had things, and they've taken it from us. So now's the time to rebuild. Yeah. Um, I think holding our money one day, as somebody said, you got to start somewhere. That's true. But now that we know we can do it for one day, let's do it for a week. Let's do it for a month. Let's do it until mm -hmm. and define what that until it is. And it mm -hmm. might be for, for months and years, but we're okay. I'm okay without the new kicks. Yeah. yeah. hundred percent. I'm, I'm fine without that weave. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. hundred percent. I think uh, it's important. So I, I hope that we're, we're having those conversations. I'm not privy to them though. I know we're not, none of us are privy to all the conversations that are happening, but I'm going to be an optimist and say they are happening because there are people yeah. out there who want them to happen of all colors, races, creeds, what have you. There's more people, there's more people just, you can see it in the post, you can see it in the different conversations that there are more people who are having uncomfortable conversations. But Vic, how much of that is the moment? Yeah. A lot of it is the moment. What's going to be important is a couple things. One, we recognize what our resources are in addition to money. Mm -hmm. Okay. We recognize the power and the strength in our numbers. And mm -hmm. we repurpose where or we reposition where we place value. Like instead of the newest kicks, right? We spend time educating ourselves on our history. Because mm. there's so much history that we have, you know, yeah, where we place value. Yeah, 
right? And I, that has a lot to do with it. it. It's it's how you allocate your time. And we've talked about this, Shane, on the show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You allocate your time based on where you see value. Mm-hmm. So if our value changes, our value system within our communities, within society, within this country changes, because it's not our only our community who values the newest kicks and the latest things and keeping up with the Joneses. Mm-hmm. We're not the only ones. If we all humanity looked at where we place value, identified the resources that we have at our disposal to be prosperous, right? Mm-hmm. We could do better as a society, first starting with our smaller communities. But I don't think the powers that be want us all to be prosperous. Absolutely not. Capitalism Absolutely. isn't set up that way. Absolutely yeah. not, no, no. So we, and we have to have to start with that realization. Yeah. yeah. So, um, one thing that's been an eye-opener to me during all this process is I, I have a, a child with special needs. And so the remote learning piece was real eye-opener to me. It was disheartening for me to see how much he was not getting. Mm. And that based on the way the system is set up, he will never be educated. Never. Mm. I didn't fully understand it because he's had great teachers. They're very compassionate and they're, you know, conversant with me. And, you know, I think they're doing a great job, I thought. But now sitting with him and seeing the things that are going on and, and the things that they're trying, they're not teaching him, I've been appalled. And so I, I don't think I have a choice but to homeschool him. I cannot let him go back into the society that has relegated him to uh, a status that he's not going to ever contribute. He's never going to be exposed to certain things. That's just the way the system is set up. Here's something that I recognize. I recognize that COVID caused schools to have to convert virtually, which was something that they did not plan for, did not expect. And that was, was a not challenge. prepared for. Was not prepared for, right? And so initially there was probably an issue making that adjustment. However, that's not an excuse to stay there. And that's what I have an issue with. At the same time, what got exposed is our educational system and how it doesn't prepare our students, our, our kids for real life. Part of me coming to your class, why I wanted to get involved with the universities in the professional world, what I kept seeing was they were come out of college and have no real awareness of what the real world expected of them right college don't get me wrong it it gives you experiences that you likely will not get um uh, unless you attend or or you know you expose yourself you make a concerted effort to get those types of experiences but it doesn't prepare you for the real world and how life will hold you accountable well it, it can and it should it should. I think in theory, that's what it was set up to do. However, the a lot of the, the at least this is my opinion, my experiences, a lot of the uh, in, team members that I've had who've talked about their college experience and courses often describe it as, I just, hey, C's get degrees. <laughs> and my teacher was okay with that. Well, well here's the, this is the thing. You can lead a water, you can lead a, a horse to water, but you can't make him drink the water. I get that piece too. So to me, college is a necessarily e- necessary evil that what you put in is what you're going to get out. Absolutely. What you put in is what you're going to get out. And I think sometimes colleges get a bad rap when we say that it doesn't prepare you. But l- look at what you just said. C's gets degrees. 
So if you go in with that expectation of C's get degrees, that's telling me you're just going into, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. To, to, to not, basically just to get by and accept the level of mediocrity as opposed to taking advantage of everything that the colleges have had to offer. Like, you know, as I said, when I was in high school, dog, I was least likely to succeed. <laughs> but it was my experiences, well, not least likely to succeed, but I sure wasn't here. Mm-hmm. You got out of it what you put into it, <laughs> and it wasn't a whole lot. <laughs> exactly. But on this end, I think um, getting involved in the academia kind of one saved me and changed me. So mm-hmm. I, I think it, it, it's 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 a tough statement when we when we blanket it as what you said earlier about the seeds gets degrees. Here's what I'll go back to. So yes, at the collegiate level, right. Um, I understand that there's a responsibility on both sides. Mm-hmm. The system is flawed and the people going into the system have either high or low expectations. I think about my daughter who back in elementary school was in, in school, in class, and she would often, uh, the teacher would often call my wife saying, hey, you know, she got in trouble. Why did she get in trouble? Because she finished all her work and she started distracting the other kids. And so they wanted to recommend that she be put on Ritalin and go to special needs. And it's like, no, she she finished all the work, got it right. And you're not challenging her. Give her more work. Don't call me saying she's acting out. You want to immediately say she's ADHD because you don't want to work. That has nothing to do with my daughter in terms of getting, getting out of it what you put in. And that's a that's a broader issue with the education system itself. But I don't think it's just one institution. The education system does not know, especially our kids, how to deal with our kids. And what we do is we have this one size fit all systems that we just try to put these kids in and, and it doesn't work. We're running on a model in the educational system that was created over 100 years ago. For people that don't factory look, workers that don't for people that don't look like us. Well, you have to realize it, um, education is a business, just like any other business. Exactly. Right. And so, yeah, um, somewhere a long time ago was planning in my mind that I was going to go to college, and I don't even know where that came from. But it was an expectation. Expectation. I mean, you think about it. You ask a little two or three year old. You talk to them, and you say, "What are you going to be when you grow up?" And they mm-hmm. talk about their job. Mm-hmm. It's amazing that we live in a society where they've set us up from almost infancy to go work for somebody else. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Higher education is no different. We now have majors for entrepreneurship. We had to make a major for entrepreneurship because you weren't being taught to use this for yourself. 100%. You were being taught to go use this at GM, yep. over at the hospital, yep. or over at you know whatever. You weren't taught to use this for yourself. So mm-hmm. that's one thing I try to impart. I try to say it early on that if you never work for anybody else, if you take this course, you ought to be a smarter consumer. You mm. ought to understand how you're being targeted and what, why these things are being said to you and just understand why this is being done and, and try to weave through the information that you, you're getting to really get to the truth of what's being told to you or, or you know, just understand why this is being done. But I don't think that's done a lot. Um, you know, what? if you come to school and you don't stay, you come and you stay a, a semester or two and drop out, we still got your money. Whether yep. you pay me with Pell Grant or out of pocket or whatever. So come if you, you know, succeed if you want to. If you don't, oh, well, yep. you still got your money. Yep. <laughs> take 12 go. hours or take 12, take 18. You're paying the same money. We got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Coart, 
Uh, tell us about your journey in becoming a professor. How did you get here? You know, if someone had ever asked me would I do this, I'd be like, nah, nah, not interested, never. But, um, you know, I was, I was working in corporate and uh, went through some layoffs and decided I was going to work for myself. And someone recommended while you're working for yourself and building a business, I was doing business development for small companies and I was doing some grant writing and I was working with the SBDC, which is a small business development center. But at, and so working for myself, I wanted a steady stream of income and I started teaching classes at a university where I was living in Dallas and someone else connected me. Someone I met through the SBDC said, you know, you should really talk to this professor. And he introduced us and she said, if you really want to do this, you need to go ahead and get your PhD. And at that point, I had an MBA and I said, never, I'm not ever going to school again. <laughs> I'm tired of school. <laughs> but I went to a program called the PhD Project. And the PhD Project um, is an initiative by KPMG. And what they do is they have a program that solicits and supports people of color who want to pursue PhDs in business. So management, finance, accounting, all those things. They have a program that kind of brings you in, kind of does an orientation with you. They have um, colleges that come in and talk about recruitment. And that's how I got into this line of work. I was really fortunate to get into a good program. Many of them are very um, much kind of weed out that aren't very nurturing, aren't very supportive. You get in here and if you get, if it works out for you, cool. If not, oh well. But I got into a program that was a good, a good fit for me and that I had colleagues that we got along, we worked together and we studied together. And here I sit now as an associate professor. So I am tenured. I've been tenured twice. I've been mm. tenured at two different schools, but I'm now tenured at the school that I'm at and I'm really happy about it. So I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud um, to have reached this point because my grandmother, I look back now, my grandmother, my grandparents couldn't read mm. and write. Um, and I think that they would be very proud now. And that's not, I don't think, I don't think that was my motivation, but now I look back at what, 50 years ago and say, wow, this is great. So I hope that I am influencing someone. I do have a, a passion for mentoring um, young women of color, especially people from disadvantaged backgrounds, because that's my background. Um, Shane said something earlier, and I don't know if he was kidding, but they tried to put me in remedial classes when I was younger, mm. you know, and I was a bad kid, but I think I was just bored. And then I was in a lot of environments too early on where I was one, maybe only the brown kid there. Okay, you know, you know, there's all types of stereotypes about who we are and how we should be treated. So mm. I look back and feel really proud, um, but I never thought I'd be working in academia. I had no interest whatsoever, but never seen that. So how has... Um... <laughs> your journey as a, as a black woman in academia, Ben, what challenges have you seen? And what, what, what is that like? It, it, it what, what, what has that been like? It's difficult. It's, okay. it's lonely. Um, I'm usually one, the only, mm. the only black, the only um, black woman for sure. Um, the good thing about the PhD project is it does provide an opportunity for you to meet other people. Who mm -hmm. are so you brown. have a cohort that looks like you. And, uh, well, and and so you meet people, but when we get into academia, it becomes overwhelming. And oftentimes we get disconnected, but at least you have that network to go back to. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But like where I am right now, I'm the only, and I, as far as I know, I'm the only black, no, I'm the only black professor. I'm the only black faculty member tenure track for sure 
in marketing. And there's probably over 50 professors in my department. Wow. The only black. And on the campus where I work, I don't know how many professors are, there are. There's probably at least 100. There's only three that, are, that identify as black. Mm. Wow. Yeah. How did you even, how did you even come to uh, focus on marketing? I don't think that you talked about that. Um, because it was, it's fun. I was, I had management degrees. And when I went back to get, I went back to get my PhD, I wanted to do something that I thought was interesting. And I always thought that marketing was a fun and interesting topic. So awesome. that, and I had been working in marketing too, um, in my previous job. So it seemed like just a natural, natural transition. I wanted to be in management because I always wanted to be the boss. <laughs> I see that? I can see that very much so. But that's very general, right? That's a very general um, degree. And so I, my undergrad is in, um, I think it's actually, it's a BS in business administration, I think. And my MBA is a general MBA, but I have a um, emphasis in um, uh, industrial psychology. Elaborate on that. What is industrial psychology? It's just how the, the psychology of how people in business think. Okay. And, and you know, because there's a psychology to managing people. Yeah. Yep. Right? Like For you, sure. You want to be collaborative and make sure everybody feels included and everybody has a voice and, you know, those type of things. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%. 100%. And I just, I think about work and how you have to do all those things and Please, people. All right. Here's a question I have for you. Tell us a defining moment in your journey up to this point that shaped who you are. Wow. There are so many. But the one that's top of mind for me is becoming a parent. And for me, that's so um, defining because, again, I became, a, I became a parent, a single parent automatically, which it was not anticipated for me. And I became a parent of a child who's very special. And I think had, I've asked God many times, why me? What did I do? <laughs> why is this happening to me? Because it seemed like the more I prayed for relief, the harder things have been. But I think in having my son and the challenges of that, it made me selfless. I think heretofore I had been very self-centered not in a bad way per se but just very much me 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 I, I i did whatever i want to it's made me much more empathetic to people who are different and to people who need help and to people who don't have a voice and i think i would never have paid attention to those things if i had not had him hmm. that's interesting so now we all had different plans and how we saw ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that that's true of all young people coming up, right? What, what you think life has for you versus the reality, you know, when you get to that point um, is usually stark different. I hope there's more for me though, Victor. I feel that it's something, I feel like it's something else I'm supposed to be doing. I just don't know what it is. And it Why might, is that? I don't know. It, I, I always feel like I, I've been feeling unfulfilled for a long time. I even took a class on it, trying to figure out what my purpose is. And it, it didn't help. <laughs> but I feel like there's something. I feel like this is not it. Whatever it is might be a companion to this. It doesn't mean that it has to replace what I'm doing now. But I feel that there's something else. And I, do, I don't know what it is. Have you been listening to our podcast? 
<laughs> Purpose addicts. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Will it help? Uh, yeah, we think so. Oh, we, you check it out. I think no. I when you say that, I think nobody really does. And if they say they do, it's either because they've become complacent mm-hmm. or they're done. I think it, it's a moving target. Um, my goals at what am I? Thirty six now. My goals at thirty five. My goals six months ago, and my my state of mind is totally different to what it is right now. Mm-hmm. So I I don't think I don't think knowing exactly what the purpose is is as important is as important as constantly pursuing the journey and living the journey and walking out the journey because um it, it's fluid. Things change so much. Like like guys we're in the middle of a pandemic like do we realize how different life can be in the next two to three months like how much either way we can go um you know what i'm saying and 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 what what that looks like so i just think it's just such a fluid thing when we talk about purpose like right now i have an idea what it is and the best thing that i can do is just if i have an idea go try to tackle something and and eventually i'll bump into something along the way and if it's a right i'll take the right pursue just my take on it though yeah i think you i think you pursue a passion i think but you know what i think that's that's a luxury too what how so to say that you can pursue your passion and a I passion say, yeah because yeah because it's that whole maslow hierarchy of need right uh-huh. that some people never get to that point we're self-actualizing now right we have basic needs met, you know, you socialize, love and all of that. When you get those basic needs met, then you can sit back and say, now what? But if you're still trying to, you know, pay rent and trying to see how you're going to take, who's going to take care of your kids for you to go to work, you don't even have time to think about that. I don't think. When, mm. when I had more of those type of needs, I wasn't thinking about my purpose. But I think it's a luxury now to sit and ponder that. Again, and that's the beauty of the journey. Yeah. That's the yeah, but not everybody gets to that point, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think everybody gets to the point to, to even have time to ask that question. Have time or have refused to create have opportunity, time? Have opportunity. Depending upon your, your situation that you grow up in, it may not be even a thought you have about your purpose. You're just trying to make it from day to day. Right. That makes sense? Yep, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. But exposure and in this world, internet, TV, what have you, exposes people to other people's experiences it's just a matter of you deciding that's an experience that you want for yourself that's an experience but it may not be your purpose it may not but it may lead you to it may cause you to bump into it grant cardone grant cardone says your net worth is based on your network right one of the things that i've always learned um and i took this from from both my parents my mom and my dad we didn't have much growing up, but we knew somebody who could get us access to that if we asked this person who may need to ask this person who may need to ask this person, right? Um, so I feel like from, from Shane and I's conversation in this journey, even just on the podcast, we talk about something we are passionate about, mm-hmm. hadn't taken any steps towards it, decided to take a step that revealed, oh man, I actually like this over here. You know what? I'm going in that direction and it continues to be fun as it, as the journey reveals 
you know what? This is a part of my purpose. It's, it's all starting to work together. All things work together for the good. Mm-hmm. That that is what that is what this is about. So for you, I, I would encourage you pick a passion and take a step in that direction because he and I both agree that a lot of times why people don't walk in their purpose is because they never take that first step. That was yeah. our very first episode. The first step. What is amen. something that you're passionate about? Amen. Oh, sorry. I, I missed that amen. Go ahead. Say that amen again. So I can make- amen. I'm doing your amen. Amen. Okay. I got you. <laughs> what, is, what is something that you're passionate about? I am passionate about education. I am passionate about um, the Black community mm. and seeing us, be, seeing us uplift, uplift one another and rise as a community. I'm passionate about helping others that that had similar backgrounds as myself. I'm not from a prosperous family. I'm not from an overly educated family. I'm not from wealth or plenty or even good um, good family situations. Mm-hmm. And so I understand that struggle. Um, so I have a special heart for people that are like me that want to do something but may not know how to or may not have the resources um, or even the motivation, don't, don't have the support system to help them. I have a passion for helping those types of people. Gotcha. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh my God. Retired. That's dope. Retired. Um, teaching if I choose to. Um, just loving life and, and taking care of my son and just chilling. For real. I, I'm, I'm, wanting, I'm ready to retire. <laughs> I really am. And then whatever comes along with that. Because again, I still don't know what my purpose is. So I don't know what else. But there's something beyond this. It is. It is. And I think just your more than this, something more than this. I think just your desire for wanting more is going to lead you to your purpose. I so hope you're right, because I've been asking this question for decades, literally. And I I don't feel like I'm any closer to knowing now than I was when I started asking. Sometimes people don't see that they're walking in their purpose, but other people do. For Mm -hmm. example, Shane sees things in me that I don't see in myself and vice versa, right? I think that maybe in your case, I know what I've seen in you in our friendship, and I feel like you are already in your purpose, and not as a professor, but as an influencer, as a person who challenges students to be better than the average expectation. Oh, thank you. I feel like you're already there. But in the the fullness of it, when the person realizes it, so I hope, I pray, if you are praying and hopeful, pray for me that I get a realization of that because what a comfort Absolutely. that will be. Absolutely. That's one of the things that, that I don't want to say troubles me, but that um, is constantly on my mind. What else should I be doing? And that I can have some peace with that. Okay. All right. Tell us this. Give us one person, one person who's influenced you. You know, there's so many people who have influenced me, but if I had to choose one impromptu now, I would have to say my grandmother. My grandmother, Odessa Coward, who is my namesake, that's my name, my middle name is Odessa, was a a great influence to me. We were very, very close, and I miss her dearly oh my gosh I miss her dearly but um 
the thing she instilled in me and that I remember ongoingly about her is she really was very much about just always loving people. She used to tell me, baby, love them. She, she, was, she had a saying that she said that they're sick. You got to love them anyway. They're sin sick. You ever heard the old person say mm-hmm. that, that they're sin sick? You just got to love them. And I, I think that I'm that's something I'm still working on, but that resonates with me. Um, mm-hmm. And the lessons she's told me over and over again, and she was really big on positivity and, and just was so proud of me and always had really good uplifting messages for me. And so she it has been and continues to be, even though she's not living with me now, a strong influence for me. Man, that's really awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I want to take us out of the show on that note. Here's a quote. We always end our show with a quote. And I'd love to hear if and how it resonates with you. Okay. The quote is this. I'm no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I'm changing the things I cannot accept. I got something for you because this book I'm reading, I've had this book. I picked it up from the library. Um, when COVID first started, when they didn't let you come in the library anymore, I picked this book up and I was reading it right before, I was reading the preface right before um, I started speaking with you guys, but there's something in here and it, it speaks to that. And, and this is how what you're, you just said resonates with me, that I hope that I can come together with others and truly make a difference. Mm. That I hope that I can make, let me see, that I can make the kind of leaps in my life that will enable me to have the impact I seek in my community and elsewhere. Absolutely. I think you speak to what my life's mantra has been, which is to inspire greatness in others, Mm. be a change agent that people Mm -hmm. like love and respect in hopes that it does that for other people. And it just, that energy gets transferred over and over and over. Unleashed because I think it's there. I yeah. think our, our young people have it. They, ha- they need to unleash it. And I think we're on the precipice of doing that. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. This has been a great episode. Thank you for joining us. This has been, com- I mean, totally awesome. Great job. It's great been my pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. It's been an honor speaking with both of you. Absolutely. And listen, Shane. I'm going to go back and listen to... Um, <laughs> podcast and then maybe i can really zone in on what my purpose is yeah yeah (laughs) well hey like everybody else listening go share the show go like it subscribe to it rate it um let us know how we're doing again if it's bad feedback keep it to yourself you know the rule (laughs) especially if it's about this show on my episode (laughs) i don't want to hear it purpose addicts (laughs) Live life on purpose. We out. Thank you. I'm winning for